Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Chris Ria. We are in the middle of a series called Storms. And the goal of this series is to bring some hope to people who are walking through some of the darkest storms of their lives. Physical storms, financial storms, and today I wanna talk about relational storms. When I think of relational storms, I tend to think of our country right now. You see, the divide between liberal and conservative Republican and Democrat is getting further and further and further at this time. And we've had several incidents in the past few years that have created relational storms. So it doesn't matter which side of the aisle you fall on, we have had some serious issues in our country and some things that have created relational storms. I mean, the election of Donald Trump as president alone created a huge relational storm, whether you think he's the greatest president we've ever had or you feel differently. Think about all the protests that we've had in our country. The Black Lives Matter movement, the Blue Lives Matter movement, the Me Too movement, things happening with Brett Kavanaugh, then the crazy news about Larry Nasser and Bill Cosby. The transgender bathroom situation and the boycott of some of Target. Colin Kaepernick taking a knee during the national anthem and then signing a huge contract with Nike afterwards because he did it. These are just to name a few, and I could tell by the silence, people have heard about these issues. (laughs) And I'm not here to touch those with a 10-foot pole. I just want to tell you that today. But whether you agree or disagree with any of these things, it has created a relational storm in our country. We've had so many conflicts, so many people confused. I've had more Christians ask me, how am I supposed to react to all of this? What am I supposed to believe? What am I supposed to stand up for? And what am I supposed to let go? And I got to tell you, what the Lord's been speaking to me personally about is that we have to get better with conflict. We have to get better with conflict. And I keep praying and asking the Holy Spirit to help me have the heart of Jesus Christ through all of this. And as I pray and as I study the life of Christ, I've realized a couple things. I'm called to love people and to be a peacemaker. That's really what I'm called to do. You see, in each of these parts of the series, what we've done is we've paired a figurative storm with an actual storm. So in part one of the series, Pastor Tony equated a physical storm to an earthquake. When you get bad news about yourself or a loved one physically, creates an earthquake. 
Your foundation is shaken. Last week he talked about financial storms and how it can feel like a tsunami because things just keep coming at you one after the next. Today I want to equate a relational storm to a tornado. And the reason why is a tornado not only creates a lot of damage in its path, but things that you never saw coming, come at you. I mean, I want to show you a little video clip of what I'm talking about during a tornado. You would never expect a flying cow to come out of nowhere and cause damage to you or hurt you. In relational storms, you never expect to be hit in a way by people that you love. You never expect that a person you love or trust is gonna hurt you or do something to you. It's unexpected. Things that we don't expect come at us and we don't know how to react to them. Parents do things that, to their kids that their kids don't understand. Kids behave in ways that parents never saw coming. Spouses do things to each other they never thought they would do. Political parties are taking the extremes. You hear things coming out of people's mouths you never thought you would hear. Conservatives are accused of hating people and liberals are accused of being immoral heathens. This is what happens in relational storms. It gets rocky, it gets scary, it gets windy. Destruction starts to come and we wonder which way to go. And instead of coming together, usually the conflict drives us apart. I mean, tornadoes ruin perfectly good homes, perfectly good cities, and perfectly good areas. So what's the answer to all of this? And when I think about this question, I'm forced to hit my knees and pray and study the life of Jesus for answers. After all, he's our Lord and Savior. We are followers of Christ. So it's important to look at his life and how he dealt with things. And I find myself constantly asking this question. If Jesus walked the earth today, how would he treat these issues? You ever think about that? Would he boycott Target? Would he protest? Would he back a political candidate? Do you ever think about these questions or am I the only one? You see, I want the wisdom of Jesus. That's what I want. And I think we would be shocked sometimes at Jesus' responses to some of the things that we take a hard stand on. And the only reason I say that is because the religious people of his day we're completely shocked at his responses. I mean, they'd bring the law to Jesus. They'd bring the word to him and say, hey, 
You're on our side on this one, right? You got to be on our side on this one. This is what the law of Moses, this is what God said, right? You're on our side. And he'd be like, well, wait a minute. Let's value relationships. I value people. I value love. So as I was looking for answers to all of this, the Lord led me to something in his word I find very interesting and I want to share it with you this morning. In Matthew 10, 2 through 4, Matthew writes, and Matthew is one of the 12 disciples called by Jesus himself, followed Jesus around for his entire ministry, was with him every step of the way. So when Matthew says something, I think we want to listen to it. And this is what he says, Matthew 10, 2 through 4. Pretty much he just names the 12 disciples. He says, here's the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Chris, why are, you, why are we reading this? Okay. Let me, let me explain this to you. When you read through this portion of scripture, you're basically hearing about who the apostles were and they, some of it, it talks about who they were related to or their parents. But only two of them, it says what their jobs were, what their roles were. And I underlined those two, Matthew the tax, tax collector and Simon the zealot. These were two apostles, and out of all the 12, Matthew only says what two of them did. He didn't say Simon the fisherman, right? He didn't say that. Why did he do this? I think it's very interesting. Well, let's look at what a tax collector is. A tax collector is a Jewish man who worked for the Roman government. And the way tax collectors made their money is they would pledge a certain amount of money to the Roman government. And then what they would do is they would tax their own people a lot more than the money they pledged to the Roman government, and they could keep whatever money that they taxed above what they pledged the government. So if a person makes $100,000, they could come to you and say, hey, the Roman government is taxing you $25,000. Now, they go to the Roman government and say, hey, we're going to give you 20. Fine. Keep five for themselves. So not only did they, did they work for the Roman government, but they also kept their own people poor. They cheated their own people in order to make money for the Roman government and for themselves. And there was nothing anyone could do about it because Rome was this powerhouse nation. And they had force. And if you messed with a tax collector... You had the Roman government coming after you. And you did not want to mess with Rome. They were brutal. So that's what a tax collector was. Pretty much hated by his own people. So now let's look at Simon the Zealot. What is a zealot? Well, zealots were dedicated to resistance of Roman occupation, particularly violent resistance. 
They hated that Rome could come and boss everybody around. They hated that Rome was this powerhouse and kind of made the rules up as they went. So they were people who were leading a revolution or a resistance against the Roman government. They were known to camp out on hill regions and they would strike Roman villages down. They would kill, they would injure, they would disrupt everyday life. And they especially loved to target other Jews who they saw as cooperating or compromising with the Romans. Tax collectors were their number one target. Not only for their role in cooperating with Romans, but also in helping to oppress their fellow Jews. Tax collectors were hated in Judea, but the zealots took it to a new bloody and violent level. So here in the very inner circle of Jesus, the 12 disciples that he picked to change the entire world, I can pick anybody I want. I pick a tax collector and a zealot and I put them at the same table. This is crazy. You don't realize this would be worse than putting a liberal and a conservative at the same table, a Republican or a Democrat at the same table. Can you imagine some of the debates they had? I just don't think it's ironic that Jesus did this. You see, without Christ, these two men hate each other. But in Christ, they lock arms, break bread, and minister together despite their differing views. This is huge. This needs to change the way we think about the divide in our country. This needs to change us. This should show us that in Christ, we don't have the luxury of holding such strong views. And I know that ruffles some feathers in here, but I'm just showing you that Jesus himself, what did he try to do? Did he try to say, Matthew, I'm on your side, or you know what, the zealots kind of have it right because they're going after the powerhouse Romes and they're protecting God's chosen people. They, no, he didn't. He said, you're both wrong because you both are violating a new command to love one another. You both, neither one of you is right, but come sit at my table let's talk about this together. And let's go change the world together. Let's bring some peace and some hope into some situations that seem hopeless together. This is crazy, you guys. This is, this is amazing. What Jesus had at his own table is unbelievable. It should show us that we need to be unified and not divided. It wasn't us versus them with Jesus. It wasn't. 
And, and Paul backs it up in Galatians 3, 26 through 28. He says this, he says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There's neither male or female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. We're all one in Christ. This was another thing that drove religious people crazy. How could you have a tax collector and a zealot following you, Jesus? There's no way this guy is the Messiah because he has a tax collector and a zealot following him. There's no way he's the Messiah. There's no way I can buy into this guy being a man of God when he eats with these kinds of people. There's just no way. Now, were Matthew and Simon's lives transformed? Yes, by Jesus. Did they instantly stop what they were doing or what they believed in? No. It took time. And Jesus transformed their hearts and their lives the more he taught them how to be in conflict but still value relationship above conflict. See, that's the answer to the reconciliation of relational storms. The answer is to value relationship above conflict. We look at the conflict. We look at the issues. And we forget that there's people on the other end of those issues. I was having a conversation with Phil Smith, our worship director, and we were talking about this very thing. And he's like, you know, I find it interesting, like Hitler, what he did is he convinced people that Jewish people were less than human beings. And when people began to view Jewish people as less than human beings, that's when they thought it would be okay to put them in camps and murder them. When we start to look at issues over people, we begin to rationalize things we never would if we were looking a person right in the eye when we were talking to them. Because these people stop having value because they're just an issue. But these aren't issues we're talking about. These are people who are made in the image of God and have value. So we've got to learn to value relationship over conflict. Value relationship over the need to be right. You can be right and still be wrong. How many people know, if you've been married in this place, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) See, relationship needs to trump conflict. And sometimes we get caught up in the issues So far, we just forget about people. So that's the first thing I want to talk to you about and I want to prove is that Jesus, what he did is he valued a person above a conflict. And there are so many examples of this. So many examples of when Jesus valued a person above an issue. And the second thing I want to talk about is this. This is pretty much the core statement of the entire message, and it's this. Spending time with Jesus enables us to bring peace and hope into storms. 
Spending time with Jesus enables us to bring peace and hope into storms. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Acts 27, 13. Acts 27. The book of Acts is basically, it was written by a doctor named Luke who followed around Jesus wherever he went, documented his life. He wrote one of the Gospels, the Gospel of Luke. He then followed the apostles around, the disciples, and he wrote the book Acts, which is the Acts of the disciples. It's basically everything they did after Jesus left the earth. And Luke is talking about, in this portion of scripture, an experience that he has with the apostle Paul. Now, Paul was a religious Jewish Pharisee. Paul knew all 613 laws of the old covenant. He memorized scripture. He followed the ways of God. And he did not believe Christ was the Messiah. And I'm guessing, this is not scriptural, but I'm guessing one of the reasons why he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah were because this guy had a zealot and a tax collector sitting at his table. One of the reasons. Maybe not the only one. And so Paul, this man of God who devoted his entire life to God, he's killing and persecuting people who call themselves followers of Christ. He wants to put an end to this religion because it's making his religion look bad. And he's passionate about his God and his religion. So he's on his way to do this, to murder Christians and put them in prison. He has an encounter with Jesus that changes his life. And in a moment, he's blinded. He hears a voice, Saul, why do you persecute me? And in a moment, he understands that the very gospel he was fighting against was true, that Jesus did what he said he was gonna do. He came to the earth, died on a cross, and rose again. In a moment, he believed. He was blinded. A guy by the name of Ananias came, put his hands on him, and he received his sight. And immediately Paul went out and began to talk about Jesus. This creates a big problem for Paul, though, because all of his connections to the Pharisees, all of his friends, all the people, his co-workers, who were so proud of the work he was doing to end the Christian faith, now realize he's promoting this faith. He's gone nuts. He's gone to the dark side. So what do they do? They try to stop him. Everywhere he goes, they follow. They stir up trouble. They persecute him. They make up lies about him. And they get him arrested. And so Paul gets arrested for the faith. That's pretty much it. And he has to appear before some people. He has to stand in front of Governor Felix. Governor Felix hears his case and says, you know what, I'm not sure what I think. Puts him in prison for two years. Stays in prison for two full years. Then after two years, he stands in front of Governor Festus. Then he stands in front of King Agrippa. And then they say, you know what? We're gonna send you to Caesar. We're gonna send you to Rome 
to stand before Caesar, kind of like the Supreme Court. You're going all the way to the top. So in order to get to Rome, he had to get on a boat. And while he's on this boat sailing to Rome, talk about a storm. Here's a guy who's just preaching the gospel. He's arrested for it, standing in front of all these kings in prison. And now he finds himself sailing to Rome. And wouldn't you know a storm came while he was on the boat? Let's read about it. The Bible says, when a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cuda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtris, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Now listen to this. When neither the sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Man, storms will do that to you. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said this. Men, you should... You should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. I love Paul here a little. I told you so. Just, in the, just throw it in there a little bit. But now, I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Let's skip down to verse 33. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. He said, for the last 14 days, you've been in constant suspense and have gone without food, and you haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. I want to point out a few things about this passage of Scripture that I find pretty incredible. Number one, the description of this storm. A storm of hurricane proportion hits this boat that they're on. They took a violent battering from the storm back and forth. They didn't see the sun or stars for days on end. It kept ranging with no reprieve. Kept raging. To the point where they said, we we won't survive this. They gave up all hope. What happens next? 
Paul stands up and says something, which I think is pretty amazing in the story because Paul's a prisoner in the story. You think Roman guards and people working on a ship tend to listen to prisoners a lot in stories like this? No, they listen to the captain. The captain comes out and tells them, this is what we're going to do. They say, I am the captain now. (laughs) And they listen to the captain. That's what they do. But for some reason, they had lost hope. And Paul stands up. He says, I got something to say. I'm the man of God. I spend time with a guy named Jesus. He died, he rose again, and I believe in him. And last night I was spending some time with him, and he told me everything's going to be okay. I want to let you know not one of you is going to be harmed. Now, the darkest moment of their lives, the scariest they've ever been, what did they need to hear right there? Did they need to hear, hey, it's probably because I'm on the ship and you guys are persecuting me and your sin has found you out and God is punishing you. That's what we like to say, isn't it? In the storms? That's God's judgment on New Orleans. That's God's judgment on these people. And we like to tell them that. Paul doesn't do that here. He doesn't say your sins have found you out. He doesn't say God is bringing judgment on you. He doesn't say any of that. What does he say? Listen, God's graciously going to save all of your lives because he cares about you. What did he do? He brought hope and peace in the storm. In the darkness, he brought peace and hope. He gave these men hope. Can we say, as a church of Jesus Christ in our country, that in the darkest storms maybe we faced, we're giving the world hope? We're giving them the peace of Jesus Christ? We're coming in this situation, guys. Hey, listen, it's okay, everybody. I know you're protesting. I know you're upset. I understand you're hurt, and I'm going to try to figure out why, but I just want to let you know it's going to be okay. Peace and hope are coming. We're going to figure this thing out together. We are. And be confident about it. No, what do we do? We go, we divide. You go to your side and I'll go to mine. It's not working. So Paul stands up and he gives these guys some peace and some hope in this storm. They hadn't eaten in 14 days. He says, let's, let's break some bread. You ever, tr- you think about trying to eat during a storm like that? Come on, let's just take a break and eat a little bit. I mean, he offers a little bit of hope. You see, I, I, wanna, I want everyone to hear this. If we could be quiet for a moment before we react with our feelings and our emotions. If we could just say, Lord, what do you think about this? What do you think, God? How should I respond? Maybe we could offer some peace and some hope 
You want to know something? Storms are scary. They're scary. People get scared in storms. They're scared for their future. They're scared for their family. They're scared for America. And when you're motivated by fear, you don't always react the right way. And people are scared right now. They're on edge. And when you're on edge like that, sometimes you believe things that aren't true. But we can offer peace in the scariest storm of people's lives. In all the storms that I've ever faced in my own life, it's always been the person that has come to me in the middle of the storm and said, hey, listen, this isn't forever, man. You're gonna be okay. I've been praying for you. I really believe this is gonna be a short season for you. This isn't your new normal. Things are gonna be okay. That's what brings peace and hope into my life. I believe that about America, you guys. I do. I believe if the church begins to seek Jesus and ask him what his heart is for these people in this country, we can bring this country together. I believe it wholeheartedly. I do. You know, when I was a teenager, I used to sleep in my basement sometimes. It was pitch black down there, there was no windows. And I used to sleep down there, and when I would go down there at night, and it was really dark, like pitch black, and you could see nothing. How many know when you're down in a, a place of darkness, you can't see right in front of your face, and you hear a noise? It'd be a little scary, right? Then you wake up and it's pitch black, you can't see anything, and so you stumble around and you're trying to find a light and you stub your toe, you hit your knee, and you finally find a light and you turn just a little light on and what happens? The whole room brightens up. Everything becomes clear again. You can see where that couch was that got your toe. You can avoid hitting it this time. When you hear a noise, but there's light all around you, you don't get scared. You see, it's dark in the world sometimes. And people are walking around in that dark, and they hear a noise, and it scares them. They stub their toe, and they get afraid, or they they get hurt. But if we, the church, could spend time with Jesus, we would be the lights going on all around the world. Can you imagine what would happen if each one of us had this peace and hope? Remember, Jesus is the Prince of If we spent enough time with Jesus and had the wisdom of Jesus and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, and we didn't just react by our feelings and our emotions, but we actually thought there's a, peop- there's a person there. The liberal left isn't just an issue, it's a person. If we thought about that, a person made in the image of God who he loves, despite some of their crazy views at times. 
or on the right. Just as crazy sometimes, let's be honest. We're all people trying to figure this thing out. You know who has the answers? Not us. We get so opinionated. We stand on these hills and we die on them. And you know what? We don't even know what we're talking about. It's like when we sit around trying to talk about why the lions lose so much. We don't know. <laughs> There's people paid millions of dollars trying to figure it out. I'm really going to offer the answers to that? We sit around acting like we know everything that we don't know. Having these strong opinions on things we don't even, aren't really true, but we heard someone say, when the answer is Jesus, and I know that sounds cliche, but it's true. If we spend time with Jesus, we get his heart. I'm telling you, the more I pray, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. The more I pray for the heart of Jesus, the more I study the life of Jesus, the more I'm convinced that my job is to love people, to look past an issue and look into their heart and let Jesus do the work in their life, not me. Because I can't change a person. I can't debate my way into winning an argument I've tried and failed. I can't debate my way into changing the mind of a person, but what I can do is I can sit two people down on opposite sides of the spectrum at the same table as Jesus and say, I don't have the answers, but this guy does. That's what he did. A tax collector and a zealot at the same table as Jesus. Come on, church. God's stirring the hearts of his church right now. I know you feel it. I feel it. We have the hope. We have the peace in the storm. We have the answer, and it's not an opinion. It's not a stand. It's Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the wisdom of God. That's what we have. Let's get in tune with the Spirit of God and walk around. And guess what? We'll start seeing lights pop up all around. Let's stand and just sing this song together. Let's believe that God is going to use Jesus to bring peace to this world, to make the darkness tremble, and to bring hope back to our lives, to our country, to our families that might be in a little relational storm. One last thing I want to say before we sing this song is this. Maybe you're in this place and you've been hurt pretty bad in a relational storm. Maybe it was something that's happened in this country one of the issues that have taken place has just hurt you and wounded you. Maybe someone in this country said something to you or about what you believe and it just hurt. Maybe a close family member or friend said something to you and it hurt, did something and it hurt. I want you to know Jesus is the only one who can bring healing to that heart. You may never get an I'm sorry from a loved one. You may never get someone to say I was wrong. 
that doesn't mean you have to walk around wounded because Jesus is in the business of healing broken hearts. So if that's you, maybe someone has hurt you in a relational storm. While we sing this, I just want you to believe that that Jesus is going to make that darkness in your life tremble. Maybe you're in here and you're the guy or the girl who maybe has hurt someone. Maybe you've identified with what some of I've of what I've said, because I know I have. Maybe you've had strong stands and strong opinions on things, and you've focused on conflict instead of relationship. You've looked at issues instead of people. But you want to be different. You want to have the wisdom of Jesus and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. As this song is going, I'm going to ask you just to believe that Jesus will make that darkness in your life tremble that he'll give you the wisdom of the Holy Spirit in this moment. Let's sing this together. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.